You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Our passage today is from Matthew 16, 1 through 12, I believe. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. And he answered them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the five thousand and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the four thousand and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome to the Vine this morning in person or at home. I uh, just want to welcome visitors today. If there's any visitors uh, for the first time or you're just checking out the Vine, I want to say welcome. And I know it's like not cool to like, I'm not going to make anybody who's new like stand up and quote their favorite Bible verse, although that would be fun. But I want to give you a gift. We got these um, cool, uh, this is from Crossway, and it's the Illuminated Scripture Journal. And this one is the Gospel of John. So if you would be so bold, if this is your first time here, could I just get a hand? Your first time. All right. Ty, I need a runner. It's her first time. Anybody else? First time here? Grandma Tucci? No, not Tucci. Grandma... Pipcorn. Pipcorn? Yeah, yeah Ty, over there. <laughs> Grandma gets one. Yeah. All right, all right. So glad you... Yeah, come on. So glad you guys are here. Uh, hope I didn't embarrass anybody too much. So we got our Bibles, Matthew 16, 1 through 12. Let's check that out, Okay. Now, uh, we are coming toward the time of potentially, now COVID might be throwing all of this off, but potentially getting together with family, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and I don't know if y'all have had this experience, but have you ever had that like conspiracy theory conversation with a family member? Yeah, or maybe a friend, coworker, right? Like that's a lot of that flying around these days. There's a lot of potential for that and a lot of different ways. And, you know, conspiracy theories have always been around. It's nothing new in our day and age, right? It's just part of human nature, I think, to enjoy meditating on some of that stuff. And, you know, there's folks that have, for many, many years now, deny the Holocaust. That's a, that's a weird one. I mean, that's a real um, painful one. People out there deny that, like, we actually landed on the moon, right? That it was some type of a hoax. Um, 
Things like the Illuminati that are controlling world events. Heard of that one? And if you sit down with some of these folks and try to convince them, you know, I, I think the Holocaust actually happened. Or, you know, I think we probably landed on the moon. A lot of times the response is just going to be, I, I just don't think there's enough proof. There's just not enough proof. I need more proof to believe that the Holocaust really happened or that we really land on the moon or that 9-11 wasn't like orchestrated by the American government so that we could invade Iraq or something like that. There just isn't enough proof. That's the common narrative. That's the common response. And that kind of a situation, though not necessarily a conspiracy theory, that's the kind of situation that Jesus finds himself today in in Matthew chapter 16. And religious leaders are demanding more proof. So if you have your Bible, let's look at at Matthew 16 and the text that Naomi just read, starting in chapter 1. Jesus' opponents are making some demands of Jesus. Let's look at it together. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. So what's a sign from heaven? A sign from heaven is just Bible speak. For a miracle. They want to see Jesus perform a miracle. And, and we see here that Jesus doesn't play ball. He's not going to play ball. He's not going to be put to the test by those who have hard hearts. He knows that, and he says this in Luke chapter 16, that even if somebody rises from the dead, there's going to be people that still don't believe. But what he does do here is something he does a lot, and he uses logic. And he logics from the lesser to the greater. From the lesser to the greater. Check out his logic here. Look at verse 2. He answered them, When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. It'd be like this. You sit down with a a Holocaust denier, let's just say that, or the the we didn't land on the moon person, and you say to them, okay, so do you believe that George Washington was the first president? Yeah, sure. Do you believe that um, the first Olympics were held in 1896 in Athens? Yeah, Yep, that's, that's cool. Do you believe that Lewis and Clark were the first ex, some of the first explorers of North America? Yeah. But you deny the Holocaust? You deny the moon landing? Like there's way, way, way more physical evidence to support the Holocaust than those other things. You think those other things are straightforward, but the Holocaust is not? So the point here is you you would try to show this person the foolishness of what they're demanding in order to believe. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's doing the exact same thing. He says, you think the weather is straightforward and predictable and easy, right? And you look at what is happening, you interpret the experience of what you observe with your eyeballs and your sense perception, what's empirical, and you look at the sky and go, Okay, yeah, and so thus 
A, B, and C is going to happen with the weather. But Jesus is like, you see 5,000 people get healed, and then 4,000 people get healed. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, the, probably that amount got healed. But uh, fed, right? 5,000 got fed, 4,000 got fed, and you got exorcisms, and you got healings. You got a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You got all that sense perception, observable data, just like you say you see in the sky, and yet you still won't believe? Like, you want more? You want more from me? Really? That's what Jesus is saying here. He just says this is wicked. He says this is wicked. Look at verse 4. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign or demands a miracle. But no sign, no miracle will be given it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. Now that's a little mysterious, right? He just kind of says, I'll give you a sign. It's going to be the sign of Jonah. Doesn't explain it. He just walks away. So what's the sign of Jonah? What does Jesus mean here? What's the sign of Jonah? It's a great, great question. Let me, ex- let me explain, maybe for some that aren't quite as familiar with their Bibles or might not be familiar with, with Jonah in the Old Testament. You can read super quick in 20 minutes, read the story of Jonah in the Old Testament, but I'll give you the cliff notes here. Jonah is called by God, and he's called to go to Nineveh. And Nineveh are historically a violent Violent people, cruel. And uh, God's people hated the Ninevites. And Jonah's like, no, I'm not going to go to Nineveh. I hate those people. And God says, yep, you are. And I want you to go to them and call them to repentance. And warn them of judgment if there is no repentance. And Jonah's like, no. And Nineveh's that way, and Jonah goes this way. He runs the opposite direction of the call of God. And so he gets on a boat, goes the opposite way, huge storm comes. Jonah says, it's my fault, and uh, if you throw me overboard, things, things will be fine. So the sailors take Jonah, they throw him overboard, swallowed by a fish, three days in the belly of a fish, and after three days, he's launched onto the beach by the fish, barfed up by the fish, Right? So what does, that, what, what does that tell Ninevites? That tells Ninevites that Jonah himself is legit. If you spend three days in a fish and you come out alive and then you say you have words from the Lord, listen up. Like, he's legit. Like, that's a miracle. You can trust them. God is with with them, and Jesus is saying the same thing. He's like, you want a sign? You will have a sign. You're going to see in a few weeks, a few months, you're going to see, I won't give you a sign outside of myself. Just like Jonah, Jonah was the sign. 
His physical existence was the sign, and Jesus is saying the same thing. It's going to be three days, not in a fish, in a tomb, dead as a doornail, and then I'm going to be raised from the dead, and I will be the sign. I am the sign that you're going to be demanding, that you're demanding for right now. I'm going to be it. Resurrection is the sign. Like, if you won't believe that, then nothing will be enough. That's what Jesus is saying here. Let's stop now and and let this text kind of drive up into our driveway and park in our neighborhood for a second. Like, can we see ourselves in the Pharisees? Like, I've got some empirical data of God's work in my life, but if he would just... Maybe write it in the sky. If he would just provide in this concrete way that I could really see, then I'll really believe. Then I'll really step out in obedience. Then I'll really take that step that feels risky, that that I know God's calling me towards. But Jesus rose from the dead as a fact of history 2,000 years ago. Is that not enough? Is that not enough? In some ways, in some ways, the rebuke might be even stronger for us than for the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Why? Because we live post-resurrection. Right? They didn't have the resurrection. They got the, they got the promise of the resurrection, the sign of Jonah. We live post-resurrection. See, we don't need more proof. We don't need to test Jesus. He's given us enough. The testimony of history is enough. The testimony of our hearts, when we hear God's word and we act upon it and we see what that produces, that's enough. That's enough. So in light of this interchange, Jesus wants to train his disciples. He wants to train his disciples then. He wants to train his disciples now, sitting here in this room or watching at home. Let's see what Jesus does here. Verse 5. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to buy any bread. Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not yet remember the five loaves for the 5,000? And how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. He says it again. Then they understood that he was not telling them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees 
and the Sadducees. So as is pretty normal here, we see the disciples, they miss the point, right? That's pretty clear. He's not talking about actual physical bread that we eat. It's a metaphor that Jesus is using. That's pretty clear, right? That's pretty clear. They missed the point. And he's saying, guys, come on. But let's think about this this morning. What, what Jesus wants to get across to disciples then and disciples now. And the rest of this, in the rest of our time this morning, we're going to focus on two things from the rest of this text. Leaven and teaching. Okay? See how he talks about it twice in this text? He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And then he says it there at the end of verse 12. He's talking about teaching. He's talking about the teaching of these folks that influence. Okay, so first, real quick, what is leaven? Like, if you asked me what leaven was before I studied this text, I wouldn't have been able to tell you. Some of you that are bakers, you know what leaven is. And I learned this this week. Leaven is just uh, yeast that has a strong, influential power on the dough when you're making bread. Okay? Um, so the yeast or the leaven has a powerful influence on the dough when you're making bread. It impacts what you're making. And that's all that Jesus is saying here to his disciples. He's saying, did you see that interchange I just had with the Pharisees and Sadducees? Those that don't want to believe in me, those that demand a sign from me, they're putting me to the test. He's saying those guys have potential for great influence. Just like the leaven or yeast influences the dough, Pharisees and Sadducees influence those that listen to them. Okay? So we say, what do you say? Let's say in the text, beware, watch, beware. When you see a sign that says beware of dog, what does that mean on someone's property? It says, yeah, there's a dog and tread lightly, right? Tread carefully. It's not just any dog, right? It's a scary dog, right? So you got to watch. You got to be careful. Verse 12, then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of actual bread, but of the, what does it say? The teaching. So Jesus is saying to his guys, who are you allowing to teach you? Is it me or is it, is it them? See, he's saying, pay attention to your inputs. Like, who has a direct line of input in your life? Jesus saying, who you listen to matters. The teaching you listen to matters. What is the context for influence in your life? Is it them or is it me? Is it those who love me or those who hate me? He's saying, don't let those that hate me influence you. Like, beware, watch. The point is well taken, is it not? For disciples then, disciples now. Like, we don't have Pharisees and Sadducees running around today, do we? But do we have false teachers? We do. We do. Absolutely. To use Jesus' words, watch and beware of Rob Bell. Watch and beware of Joel Osteen. Watch and beware of health and wealth and prosperity preachers. 
Watch and beware of Jen Hatmaker. Watch and beware of Rachel Hollis. Watch and beware of Mormons and and Jehovah's Witnesses. Watch and beware of secular humanism that pervades our culture. Now, I would imagine that those names I just rattled off, I'm going to name names, Paul named names. I think at times it's important to name names. But I think for most of us in the room, those names I just rattled off, that's not that hard, right? To say, I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not going to be influenced by that. I'm not going to listen to the teaching of that. I can recognize the false teaching. It's kind of blatant, you know, in someone like Rob Bell or whoever. Like that stuff's a little more in your face, right? A little more easy to identify. But I would bet that for most of us, when Jesus says, watch out for how you're being taught, watch out for the inputs, it might be a little more subtle. It might be a little more subtle. I think that for most of us, what we need to watch out and beware of is the power of various media inputs in our lives versus the power of God and his word and his spirit and his people in our lives. I think for a lot of us, media in its various forms is the dominant input. If you think about what's inputting into my ears and my brain and my eyes, it's various forms of media in terms of just time spent, like raw hours on the clock right? And Jesus, again, he says to disciples then, disciples now, watch your inputs, watch your inputs, pay attention, watch and beware. Is it them or is it me? Like, is it the device we hold in our hands all day long? Is it the TV that's just on in the background all the time? Is it, is it the social media that's browsed all the time? Is it the headlines all the time? Is it the social media dust up that we get sucked into? Like, what are the main inputs? And then here's the question. What are the proportions? What are the main inputs and what are the proportions? Is it media that stirs up anger and fear to keep eyeballs on a screen so that people get paid for the attention that we give? Or is it God, his word, and his people as main inputs, right? Like, I wish, you know, I just looked at it. I fired up. Here it is, the black mirror. Uh, Screen time. Screen time. So today I got 52 minutes. Already today. I'll just be honest. This is me. So I'm preaching to myself and to y'all. Screen time app, all right? I wish sometimes we had a screen time app for the amount of fellowship and the amount of encouragement according to God's word, the amount of evangelism, the amount of Bible time, the amount of prayer time. Now, we could make, with our, you know, with our messed up hearts, we could make that legalistic in a hurry, and that's not the point at all. It's gospel, not law in terms of our justification before God. Amen? But 
it, if we get that straight, then there's freedom to have a screen time app about our Bible reading or our prayer time or evangelism or our fellowship or whatever. It, it just as an indicator of what are my inputs? What is the dominant and what are the proportions, right? Let, let me just make you a promise, okay? Spiritually speaking, if your only Bible input is me yapping up here for 30 minutes once a week versus the 10 hours of Netflix or Facebook or Instagram or headlines or CNN or Fox News or whatever, if those are the proportions, like your discipleship doesn't have a chance in terms of inputs, in terms of inputs, right? There's no chance that you won't be infected by priorities that don't align with Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying this morning. Watch your inputs. Who do you allow to teach you? What's the message? Is it blatant? Is it subtle? Can you tell the difference? See, it's just raw math. Input, output. Right? It's just raw math. You feed your face... Halloween, hello, with sugar and, and processed food, right? These kids that love it, they don't have to worry about it as much as I do, right? But, man, if you feed your face with that 365, you will gain weight. Just, it's raw math, calories, input, output. If you work 70 hours a week for five years straight with no paying attention to rest, you're going to freak out. You will have a meltdown, and you might end up in the ER, right? Stress. It's just raw math, input, output. You fill your mind with media inputs from, from the world all day long with no inputs from God himself, and you can't expect to thrive spiritually. It's not hard. It's just, I mean, it, it is hard, but it's simple. It's input, output, addition, subtraction, what are the proportions? So the question is, Jesus is asking them then, us now, what are our inputs? And I'm not saying that all social media is bad or watching the news is all bad or reading articles online is all bad. I do think we should be informed. I'm not calling us to be monks in a monastery. But what are the proportions? What are we ingesting? What are we being taught? Let me, just, let me just commend an experiment to you. I mean, this is radical, right? Okay? Just radical experiment. I dare you to try it. And if you try it, then report back on Slack and let us know how you felt. Let us know your emotions, your feelings. So I dare you to turn off all social media, all forms of media. No Netflix, no, no, no YouTube, no Facebook, whatever. Seven days. And then take, uh, like, the book of Mark or the book of John. You could read it in an hour and read it every day for seven days. It's like it would take you, like, as long as your favorite Netflix show or two, right? That's how long it would take to read the book of Mark every day for seven days. And just try it and just observe what happens to your emotions. Just observe what happens to your thought process. And just, just see. 
I think it, I think it'd be a, a phenomenal experiment just to communicate to yourself, okay, what is going on with my inputs? Jesus is saying, beware of your inputs, especially, I think, for us in these tense, nervous times that we live in. I mean, 2020 is the time to pay attention to your inputs. Is there fear being stirred up in my heart constantly? Is there anger being stirred up in my heart constantly? Is there anxiety being stirred up in my heart constantly? Watch and beware of what we intake. Are are, are the things that I intake on a regular basis helping me be more happy in Jesus? Or is it anger, fear, anxiety, nervousness? Who has the words of eternal life, right? What did Peter say? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. There's no words of eternal life on my Instagram feed, unless they're quoting Bible, which happens sometimes. So it might not be all bad. Let me just give you another example. This is, this is where this really hit home for me. About eight years, we took our first trip to, uh, to Morocco to just kind of do exploratory stuff for our teams over there. And I just noticed in my heart that fear was constantly creeping in. Going to a, a, a country where I am the extreme minority, and it's a Muslim nation, right? Well, why was there fear? Well, because I'd been watching a lot of movies where, right, where the Muslims are the bad guys. When I was a little kid, it was the Russians. In this generation, it's Islam, right? And lots of movies that were Islam, the terrorists, the terrorist attacks and all that. And then lots of that in real life, too, all over the media, because it does happen. So my mind is being fed with Muslims want to kill me because I'm an American, right? That's what I've been meditating on in terms of media inputs. Not intentionally, but it's just, you know, it's just there. It's in our culture, right? Like we hear about the attacks that happened in Nice, France a few days ago because that makes news. That gets eyeballs. You don't hear about all the beautiful Muslim people that our team is friends with in, in North Africa, Right? That doesn't make the news. So I've just been feeding my brain with narratives of the negative, failing to remember that those kind of people are needle in a haystack, and there's all these Muslim people that are beautiful people that we want to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wasn't meditating on, on Matthew 10. Have no fear of those who can just kill the body and can do nothing about the soul, right? That's the promise. Jesus says, I'll tell you who you should fear. Fear the the person, capital P person, who is Lord over eternity. 
That's who you should fear, revere, honor, respect. Don't fear those that can just kill the body. I wasn't meditating on that. But had I been meditating on that day after day after day and not been filling my mind with headlines and all this stuff, how would have that affected my trip? See the difference that inputs make? Jesus is telling his disciples then and now, watch your inputs. Consider who you allow to teach you. What's the message? What's the agenda? Do they have God's glory in mind? Do they have your joy in mind? Or do they just want your money? They just want your eyeballs because they get paid. Do they want your allegiance because your allegiance pays them and keeps them in power? I don't know what it is. At least are we self-reflective about it? What do I allow to teach me? What's the message I'm receiving? Is there a lie here that I need to rebuke? Is there a truth that I need to accept? Let me close with this. What did Jesus say? This is the input that you want. Okay, this is the input that you want. This is a beautiful promise from Jesus that I think is one of the most encouraging things that we could walk out of here with. Jesus says, if you make me your main input, this is what will happen. John 7, 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. So imagine him raising his voice. This isn't a a, a one-on-one conversation. This is a declaration for all who have ears to hear. He stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. What is that? That's an input. When I'm drinking, that's a form of input, right? I'm inputting water. Can you understand Jesus' metaphor? He says, come to me and drink. Make me your main input. Because why, Jesus? Well, here's why. Whoever believes in me inputs me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Who doesn't want that? You know what he's talking about? Well, look at what he's talking about. Verse 39. Now, he said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. He said, come to me, input me, and output will be life, joy, peace in an age of anxiety. After binging social media, do I feel streams of living water? I don't know about y'all, but I don't. I feel more anxious or more angry. That's about it. If I just endlessly scroll my Facebook feed, I promise you it's not streams of living water. Right? After engaging in that raging COVID debate around the dinner table at Thanksgiving or whatever, Like, do I feel streams of living water? I don't. Might be better to disengage from that one. After watching that show on Netflix, do I feel streams of living water are flowing? After watching hours of CNN or Fox or whatever, do I feel streams of living water? 
Again, I'm not saying be a monk in a monastery, but you hear what I'm saying. Proportions. What's going to produce streams of living water? Jesus tells us. He tells us right here. And then what? Well, then it's just an act of faith. By faith, do I believe that Jesus knows what he's talking about or not? And then I'm going to act on it. So Jesus just stands up then and now and says, come to me. Do you want streams of living water? I'll offer it to you freely. It says, come to him and get it. Come to him and get it. So today, our text is primarily a warning, right? In verse 12, beware, watch, beware, watch. What's influencing you? What are the inputs? What are the proportions? It's not Pharisees and Sadducees like it was for disciples then, but what is it today? And then it's the promise. Jesus says, come to me, and you'll have life. Come to me, and you'll have what you really want. Come to me, and you'll, you'll swim in the current of how you were created. You won't be going against the grain anymore. Over time, streams of living water from your input of God in your life, through your Bible, through prayer, through fellowship with other believers, through evangelism, through service. Jesus died so we could have this life. Jesus died and rose again so that this promise could be actualized in our life. So it's just a matter of do we believe him or not? Are we willing to come and receive? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for the promise that you um, promised to help us. Lord, we need help to figure these things out. And so thank you that you don't snuff us out when we're weak, but that you promise to help us. So Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. Lord, we confess again this morning that apart from you, we can do nothing. So if there's those here this morning that, that are struggling to believe your promise, Lord, we ask for your help. Lord, and I pray that we would have good reflective time today and in the days after on, on our inputs, on our influences, those that are blatant, those that are subtle. Lord, help us just not be passive receivers of just stuff out there, but Lord, that we would be intentional about those things that come into our ears and our eyes, just like we're intentional about what we eat and things that we put into our mouths for the sake of our health. Lord, would you help us? And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.